Good morning. Welcome to our worship. Uh, you've been greeted before, and I, I extend that greeting as well. I'm Darwin Jordan, one of the pastors on staff, and I'd love to meet you as well afterwards if, if we've not met yet. Now we turn to the Word of God as is found in 1 John chapter 1. This you can find on page 1021 uh, in the Bible that's in the pew. If you've got your own Bible, you go to Revelation, the very back, just back up a little bit and you'll come to 1 John. It's listed verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read starting in verse 5 and just read the first two verses of chapter 2 as well. After talking about the appearance of Christ, the appearance of eternal life in Christ, He summarizes it in this way. This is the message, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, That's the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. O Lord, bless us as we come to your Word. Open our hearts that we ourselves might live lives in the forgiveness of God. We ask this for your glory and honor. Amen. So my title, Why Are You Refusing Forgiveness? Why are you refusing the forgiveness of God? I ask this question because, first of all, first point, we all need Forgiveness. What does, Paul, what does John say here in verse 8 and verse 10? If we say we have no sin or if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. We even make God to be a liar who has come in his son to die for our sins. To make him a liar really is even to mock him that you thought... We needed forgiveness, and you sent your son, and he suffered horribly. If we have no sin, this was ridiculous. So we, tend, we deceive ourselves. We accuse God instead of accusing ourselves. And what's the makeup of this sinfulness? Let's explore it just a little bit. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he summarizes it in this way, that we live for ourselves and not for others. You've heard the experiment of the three-year-olds who are given two pieces of sweets 
and they can either keep them both or share one. They always keep them. But also, if they're given two pieces of sweet, and they have the choice of just eating their two pieces or giving an anonymous child two pieces, and they can still keep their two pieces, you know what they do? They do not give the child the two pieces, even though it won't harm them at all, because they want to have more. That's us. That's us. It, they summarize by saying the, the, these children are almost completely selfish. And that's what Paul says. We live for ourselves. The second commandment is love others as you love yourself, as you do love yourself. Try to love them like you love yourself. Try to be concerned about them like you're concerned about yourself. Try to promote them and protect them like you promote and protect yourself. Self-hatred even has is a kind of twisted self-love. So we are all self-imploding beings. We all could could possibly be in the grace of God springing forth water to one another, but we tend to be swamps of standing water with very little flow on our own. It just sits there and grows things that aren't good. That's what living for ourselves is like. And we have to be done with excuses. Jesus taught in several places that what you say comes right out of your heart. That was a hard one for me. Darwin, you said that because that's what you are like. You, that came out of your mouth because that's who you are. That's how you operate. He said all sin enters, comes from within our hearts. It's not from outside of us. It's not because people are doing things to us. Or, I mean, it comes from within us, Jesus said, Matthew 15. And you've heard my short version of this. Jesus doesn't say, keep your mind out of the sewer. He says, your mind is the sewer. That's the problem. That's the problem of our sinfulness. That's why we so desperately need forgiveness. This pastor I knew in South Louisiana compared his congregation to prisoners that were in prison just a few miles down the road. And in the midst of saying that, of all people, an elder, I know none of ours would do this, an elder stood up in the service and said, we are not like those people. Now, he knew the difference that maybe they had committed some crimes that we haven't and all this kind of thing. But the pastor's point was, at heart, at root of who we are, we are all the same sinners. We're all the same sinners. And you know, Jesus told the story of the Pharisee who stood in the temple and actually thanked God that he was not like other people. Thanked God. Sounds so noble that I'm not like other people. Now, if you think God grades on a scale and you're higher up on the scale 
and that's why God forgives you and accepts you, then you don't get it. If you kind of put yourself in the better category and God at least had less to forgive with me, I was closer there than others would be. Or you think of those people that really need to be broken over their sin. But you, you've got it mostly together. You've got a few problems. You're one of the good candidates. You don't get it. You don't get it. Jesus, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have to suffer on the cross and bear the wrath of God because of what you have done, what I have done. If you're thinking, well, at least I have it. (laughs) At least I don't. That's again, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Instead of realizing I'm this three-year-old, it comes out of my heart. I'm the one. Like the tax collector in that same story about the Pharisee who simply said, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Which one, which one of those are you? You see, all sin, every sin is a personal attack on God himself. Because all his commandments, they're his. It's his authority that we attack when we disobey. That's why David said in his confession in Psalm 51... Even though he had so terribly wronged others through adultery and murder, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. He didn't mean that he hadn't sinned against people. But he said, all that I'm consumed by is I flew in your face in my adultery and my murder. I hated you in my adultery and my murder. It was against you that I sinned. And that's how Joseph kept away from the advances of Potiphar's wife who wanted him to sleep with her. Even though the whole thing would have been private, nobody would have known. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's what held him. It's against God that I would do this. And then you think of the God that we attack. And this gets rough. You know, he's supremely good. He is good in everything that he commands. Jesus even said one time, there is no one good but God. <laughs> he is the only good, right? That's, and so this God of love, this God is described here as pure light. He's good through and through. And yet... We abandon him. The first commandment is rigorous because he says, you will have no other gods before me. It doesn't mean before me in order. It means in my face, in my presence. The idea is of someone, a man or woman, bringing someone home to the bed right in front of the whole family. Right in front of the family. Right in their face. God says, don't sin in my face. Don't have other gods in my face. And so 
sin is adulterous at its root, adultery toward this gracious, good, perfect God. And so when you and I begin to realize the true nature of our sin, we say something like this. How could I treat God like that? How could I treat this God the way I have? Jesus summarized the rejection that he faced in this way. They hated me without cause. And there's probably no statement in scripture that strikes me deep, more deeply than that. I've hated God without cause. We all need forgiveness. Why are we refusing it? We need it so badly. First, why? Uh, first, we need forgiveness. Secondly, God desires our forgiveness. Here's a statement that kind of crystallized for me this week. I, and I'll put it this way for you. Forgiveness is why God created the world. Forgiveness is why God created the world. Before the world began, God planned to make the world to allow mankind to rebel against him, then to send his son into the world to bear the punishment for sin so that we might experience the forgiveness for our sins and be restored to fellowship with God. That was the plan. The whole plan was for Jesus, for for the son of God to enter into the world to redeem us from sin so that we would have forgiveness. It's celebrated forever in Revelation. In heaven, even now. You can see here in this passage, God is light. And what does it mean that God is light? That Jesus is the propitiation. Propitiation is a big word. We don't like those big words, right? But it's a great word, as we've said before, because propitiation means God bearing away the wrath of God from us. That's a good word. Let's say it together. Propitiation. Again, propitiation. You like that word, okay? You like that word because he bears away God's wrath from us. That's why God is light. In the revelation of Jesus, we see that God is sacrificial love. He's light. It's glorious light. He reveals that he wants to forgive us. He wants to have us even to the extent of his own son dying. This is why God is so concerned about forgiveness. Why he wants you to live in an atmosphere of forgiveness. He wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. As it says here, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with God earlier in this passage. He wants, in the second place, he wants, he wants to be with you and to have fellowship with you. Secondly, he wants to do you good. He rejoices over you to do you good. He will go to any length to do you good. He wants you to enjoy free forgiveness. He wants, as as it says in verse 9, for you to know all of your sins are cleansed. All of your sins are cleansed. He wants you to experience that. He's concerned about forgiveness because it honors his grace and mercy. It honors him. This is the kind of God he is. A God of grace, a God of mercy. 
God who forgives sinners. This honors the work of Christ. It honors what he did on the cross. For you to stay away and not receive this forgiveness, there's no honor to Jesus. It's a rejection of Jesus. He wants you to enjoy this forgiveness. And you know, this, all of life, all of creation is full of the goodness of God. And I liken it to uh, the edges of a watermelon. You know, edges of a watermelon are fine, okay? And that's all of creation, all the goodness of God. But if you want to get to the heart of the watermelon, you experience forgiveness. You experience his forgiveness and know the intimacy of his love. Then you're in the best part of God's love and the whole reason he created the world. There's something about God's love that can only be gotten to through forgiveness. The amazing forgiveness of God. He wants you to be forgiven because he wants you to be a copy of himself in your love and forgiveness to others. He wants little replicas of his mercy and kindness. He wants to make many into his image so that we ourselves are like God in his kindness and mercy and forgiveness. It enables us, when we're forgiven, to finally really face our poisonous, infectious sin and deal with it instead of running from it. It helps us, it enables us to quit making excuses for it, to quit hiding from it, to quit responding in anger or silence when people tell us that, they've, that we've hurt them. Quit blaming other people. Quit blaming your past. It enables you, as you can face your sin and see it forgiven in the presence of God, to face it yourself and begin deal with it. And you deal with sin as God continues to embrace you and love you. You don't fix yourself and then come to God and then fix yourself and come to... In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of having to change... God embraces you. It is because of his forgiveness that you even can face your sin and change. So, God's mercy kills your excuses from staying away. He delights in mercy. And he wants you to confess your sin and to be cleansed from all of your unrighteousness. He's provided a propitiation in Christ... He says, we have an advocate with the Father, the Son who presents his own work to the Father on behalf of all who trust in him. Wouldn't you like to have that advocate with, for you before the Father? Your own attorney, so to speak, who's pleading your case. My blood covers him. My blood cleanses him. He has put his trust in me. Yet, we tend to refuse forgiveness. You see, if you can, can say he's not a forgiving God, that helps you keep your distance from God. It justifies you keeping your life in your own hands, keeping the focus on you. In many ways, we don't like being comforted and consoled. We like the attention of being victims. 
We like things bent in toward us. I saw one time a little boy who was completely, he was so angry that he was not able to go where he wanted to go. And so he was sitting in his car seat and he got so frustrated. And believe me, this kid loved his passy. He never, ever was without his passy, right? All day long. You get up in the morning, what's the first thing? You put it in, you know. Go to bed at night, it's still in there, you know. That's, that's his attachment to the passy. But when he was upset, I loved, I mean, kind of loved it because it really expressed his feelings. He took the passy and he threw it down like that. As though to say, I am so angry, I will not be consoled. Right? I will not be comforted. I have no future. I have nothing. I will not be consoled. Beware if you're refusing the forgiveness of God. That you're throwing your passy down in a sense and you're saying, I will not be consoled because I like being the victim. I like thinking that things are not going my way. I like to wallow in it and complain about it and draw attention to it. Forgiveness turns you outward. It's, there's a cost. Forgiveness is the most exhilarating, energized life you can live, to live a life of, in, in for, the forgiveness of God. But it is not a self-centered life. It radically turns you out. To give yourself away to others. And see also. If you reject God's forgiveness. You can justify your own grudges. And your resentment. You face the opportunity. To serve one who's wronged you. Or neglected you. You want to push forgiveness away. You don't want to think about. That God forgives you. So that you can forgive. And even serve this person who's wronged you. That's costly. To show mercy as God has shown mercy to us. To show kindness and patience to one you love instead of holding his or her face in what he or she has done. That's an attitude of mercilessness, you know, a merciless attitude rather than kindness and patience. And evidence that we're pushing Forgiveness away is that we can't face the wrong we've done. We can't admit it. We don't want to talk about it. I want to act like it didn't happen. And if someone brings it up, I shout them down or I shut down. Everyone understands you're unapproachable. This can show its evidence in the home when children are not, don't have an, uh, an attitude or an atmosphere of Affection and kindness and forgiveness and patience, but one of harshness and meanness and severity. This can happen toward a husband and a wife. How many times is this related to the fact that you are not tasting deeply the forgiveness of God? And living in that freedom and living in that joy and living in that strength that enables you to be resilient toward others. 
that enables you to extend the mercy and kindness and patience and forgiveness that God graciously gives you. So, I say to you, if you've never come to Jesus, he's already acted in Christ. Christ is the propitiation. He stands to be your propitiation. He stands to bear away your wrath so that you would never suffer the wrath of God. He, he throws the door open and offers it freely. Come, receive forgiveness today, right now. All your sins can be forgiven. See that God is light. He's not darkness. He's thoroughly good. He acts for your good. He wants in forgiving you to take you in and to be your father and to give you his kingdom to bring you to the new creation forever and ever. He's a good father. Won't you come to him and receive the forgiveness he offers in Christ? Let us pray. Oh Lord, how we praise your great name that seeing that we are such sinners, Lord, you did not Refuse to do us good. You came yourself as God to take flesh to yourself, to stand in our place, to bear away our wrath, the wrath that we deserve, to be raised from the dead, to defeat death, that, so that one day we would forever live in new bodies, resurrected like your own. Lord, you you did all of this for those who had turned against you. Did all of this for us who had refused and hated you. Oh, Lord, what amazing love, what amazing grace. How amazing that, Lord, you want us to know your forgiveness. It's the very reason you created the world, that we might know your love in this way. Oh, bless us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.